It's, it's an interesting passage uh, to me. When I first looked at this, I thought, wow, what is the application, right? And if you read commentaries, mostly this passage is Jesus talking about the old way of doing things, and now there's something new. And that's true. I mean, that's absolutely true. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some of the simplicity of this passage, and we're going to have Paul, the Apostle Paul, help us bring it home for us, okay? So let's begin. And get unstuck here. Then the disciples John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, what they're asking is, why are your disciples different from all the other disciples? Why are your disciples different from from John? Why are your disciples different from the Sadducees or the scribes, whoever has? Why are your disciples different? Different. Say it again, Bonnie. Yeah, and Pharisees. In Matthew, remember, if you remember last... Puberty. (laughs) If you remember last week, in Matthew 9, 10, Jesus was accused of eating with sinners, right? Called Matthew, said, you know, he's eating with sinners. That's a really bad thing. Now people are, um, are accusing him of, not, of, of just eating. They're watching. And they're watching Jesus closely. And they're watching his disciples. And so here's my first takeaway. People are watching them. And people are watching you. Fasting is visible. You can tell when people fast. If you remember Matthew 6.16 says this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So fasting is something that can be seen, and the uh, the people are watching Jesus. It's a question that everybody should ask of a believer, right? Why are you different? Because if we are not visibly different from the rest of the people in our society, something's wrong. People need to look at you and say, why are you different? We need to show visible differences between us and the non-believer. Am I right? People ought to come up to us and say, really, in a conversation maybe, really, so so when the Bears play, you go to church? You miss the games? You go to church every week? Really? Wow. Bible study. You You can study the Bible. What do you study? 
I mean, I learned all those stories when I was a kid. You go to, to church, study the Bible? How about this? When it's in the fall, you rake your neighbor's lawn. In the winter, you shovel your neighbor's snow. People wonder. My daughter used to do that for our neighbors. I didn't ask her to do it. She just did it. And it blew our neighbors away. Wow. A kid. We're not paying them. We didn't ask them. And I'm not paying her. And they knew that. It's just who she was. People need to watch how you deal with adversity. Because people are watching. Your wife is dying. Your husband is sick. You have a personal injury. People are watching. Are you angry? Are you angry at God? Do you, do you go, why God? Why me? Some neighbors of ours, um, the Lies and Guys, deep Christian uh, family committed. She lost her baby. Literally, she lost her baby. Her baby died inside of her on the way to the hospital. Say it loud, Bonnie. It was a stillbirth. And something struck me about what they said about that. I did the funeral for that little baby. It was not an easy funeral to do. But the one thing they said that was remarkable to me is, why not us? Not why me, by why not me. Some people ask me, you know, do you, what do you think about your dis- being disabled? I say, well, why not me? Why am I so much better than anybody else that I should not get multiple sclerosis? You should, but I shouldn't. See, people are watching, and people were watching the Lysengus when their baby died on the way to the hospital, died stillborn. They were watching. And they were watching that family, how that family dealt with things. I think they had how many kids? Eight kids. People want to know if you'll listen to them. Are you a good neighbor that, that just is interesting, interested in listening to them? People don't listen so well anymore. Do you know how long the average person takes before, when, when in a conversation, the average person, it only takes about 17 seconds before they quit listening to the conversation and start thinking about what they're going to say. You understand what I mean by that? They're talking to me. I'll listen for about 17 seconds, and I'll start thinking, well, what am I going to say about that? How about just listening? People are watching you. The disciples of John and the Pharisees' disciples are watching Jesus and watching Jesus' disciple. They want to know. Jesus answers the why question in an interesting way. He answers the why question by talking about three things that that don't make sense. So he answers the why question by three things that don't make sense. 
And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? How would you answer the question? No. It makes no sense. A wedding is a time of joy. A wedding is a time to celebrate. A wedding is a time to, to be with people. Weddings in the Middle East, during Jesus' day at least, took, were seven-day celebrations. I, 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 when I compare it today, I think, okay, so $20,000 times seven. That's one expensive wedding, man. But you can't, you cannot mourn during a wedding, can you? It's not a funeral. A wedding is not a funeral. It's a celebration. This is how the Greek actually puts it. A little bit more forceful. It says, the wedding's cannot mourn. The guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? No, they can't. It's a celebration. It makes no sense to go to a wedding and mourn unless you're just silly and out of touch with reality. And then Jesus goes on because, uh, because there is a time for mourning. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The answer is no, absolutely not, positively not. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. A bridegroom might leave to go to the restroom or to go outside and check the car for something, Maybe if the bridegroom's forgotten something, maybe leave, go home real quick and come back. But a bridegroom is not taken. See, is he? Have you ever been at a wedding? Well, maybe you've been at a wedding for a gangster and the police came and took the bridegroom, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe so. But I've, never, I've done lots of weddings. I've never ever seen somebody come and take the bridegroom. kind of reminds us of what actually happens to Jesus because this is a reference to himself. And then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders gathered. See, they did take the bridegroom. This is a reference to Jesus. He's talking about himself. And they did come and take him. They seized him. And then Jesus was crucified, dead, buried. That was the time for mourning. And the disciples did. They're in the upper room. And if you read the narrative, they're in the upper room, doors closed. Time for mourning. But on the third day, Jesus rose again, according to the scriptures. And then he ascended into heaven. Same word as taken. He was taken up. The word actually means taken up. And then he sent to us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to comfort us. 
So the question is, what do we do now? Do we mourn? Fasting primarily is for mourning, not always. We do it differently now, don't we? We might fast to seek God's guidance. All right. But what do we do now? Do we mourn or do we not mourn? Is the bridegroom with us? Well, the bridegroom is still with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The bridegroom is coming back. That's eschatology. There will be a marriage between the church and Christ. So let's take a lesson from Paul. This is what he says. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 through 6, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your kindness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See, it's coming back. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What I find interesting, there are two things. Rejoice. What should we be doing now? We should be rejoicing, not mourning. Jesus is not dead. Jesus has not been taken from us. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is with us. Rejoice. And then listen what, what Philippians says. Let your kindness be known to everyone. Remember what we were just talking about? The people, John's disciples, they could see Jesus' disciples fasting. They could see it. They were watching. People are watching you. And you are to let everyone know your kindness. That word kindness there means, uh, in the Greek it means, don't insist on every right or letter of the law. Yield, kind, gentle, courteous. That's missing in our culture today. It's missing. And when you do that, people will notice. Let people cut in front of you in line, in the grocery store line. Do you do that? Shovel snow. Rake leaves. Be kind. Move a car. Do what you can to show kindness to people. And people will ask, why are you like this? Why are you different from everyone else? Usually it's a really good thing. But I know some, when, it, when, when sometimes it gets us in trouble. So I'm thinking of a woman I know who used to serve in a restaurant. If you work in restaurants, what, how do you make at least some of your money? By tips, right? How many waitresses, waiters, do you think report all of their tips? This waitress reported Every last penny. Every time. How do you think that made her feel? To the, or how do you think other people uh, treated her? Not always kind. Because she was reporting, hmm, making a lot of tips, and they were reporting making a little bit. But you wonder if some of them didn't go, huh, if I ever, need, ever needed to trust somebody, I could trust them. I could trust her. How do you know that? Because she was honest. Then Jesus goes on to talk about 
and I think it, it really starts getting interesting at this point. Three, uh, uh, two other things that make absolutely no sense. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. That word unshrunk means cloth, fresh from a weaver's loom, unshrunken, unsized, new. Nobody takes a new patch and puts on old clothes. That's because the old clothes have already shrunk, and the new cloth has not. So when you put new cloth on old clothes, the new cloth is going to shrink and just tears, just tears the garment. But the second thing I want you to notice is that it's about, it's about the garment. And that's really important. It's about clothing. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying these two things are not compatible. You cannot put the old on the, the new on the old. It doesn't work that way. And here's what Jesus is talking about. The new life that Jesus teaches and brings is not compatible with the old teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. The new life is not compatible with our old life. You know that, right? Our old way of behaving is not compatible with our new life in Christ. Paul really picks up on this in many different passages. I just want to give you a few. The old and the new. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, put off your old self. That word put off means literally to take off, literally of clothes. So Paul's talking about the clothing. Paul's talking about garments that Jesus was talking about. And he says, put off your old self like clothing. Your old self is like clothing. Take it off and lay it down, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corruptible through deceitful desires. Now, I should have put the rest of that verse there. And it says, and put on the new self. And when it says put on, the word in Greek is clothe yourself. Take off the old clothing, put on the new clothing. There's no patchwork. It doesn't work that way. Paul explains, can't patch up your new life with what you have been doing in your old life. Colossians 3.8 puts it really well. It says this, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. Malice is, means mean-spirited. Slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. There you go. There's that put off. Take it off with his practices, and if put on, you've clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Put it all away. Take it off and lay it aside. 
I like how it, it how uh, Paul says it in Colossians 3. Keep reading 3, verse 12. This is from the message, and I have a re- reason for uh, using the message here. It's because I, I used this at a wedding, and I want to explain what I did at this wedding because it's kind of interesting. Here's what it says. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. So I told Bonnie what I was going to do. Her, her cousin, second cousin, uh, had uh, asked me to do the wedding up in Michigan where nobody knew me at all. For all they knew, I could be some kind of weirdo preacher. Strange. So I told Bonnie what I was going to do, and she looked at me and said, Okay, if you want to, not sure that's going to go over. I said, Well, I'm going to do it. She said, Okay, I trust you. So we do all the introductory parts of the wedding. She's standing right before me in a, in a white dress. He's standing, what, uh, his name was... Um, Anyway, her groom <laughs> was staying right next to them. They have like five bridesmaids and five groomsmen. Yeah, it's Tim. And, um, and it comes to the part for me to give a message. And I said, before I start, I'd just like to say, you look lovely. And everyone's going, oh, she does, doesn't she? I said, no, really, seriously, you look really, really nice. And I think, yeah, she does. And I said, did you think about what you're going to put on for today? And everybody kind of laughs and thinks, okay, he could be an idiot. <laughs> I go, really, seriously, do you think what, you, I mean, it must have taken, did it take you a long time to find that dress? She's like, okay, you're strange. <laughs> Just move on. I said, and, and these women, they're all wearing the same dress. I said, when you, when you come to an event, and women wear, five women are wearing the same thing, there's a little bit of embarrassment. Am I right? <laughs> and then Tim races cars, and all his groomsmen are car racers. They don't wear tuxedos. And I looked at them, and I said, and all the groomsmen, that you, you got them in tuxedos. I said, I said, did you guys plan this? <laughs> and now they're going, for sure, this guy's an idiot. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law were there, and I'm sure they were thinking, okay, she did. She married an idiot. <laughs> and then I let it boil for a, little, for a second. I said, let me read again the passage. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. I said, of course you thought very carefully about what you're going to put on. But in your marriage, and now I'm speaking to all of you if you're married, in your marriage, you need to think about what you're putting on. You need to think of how you're going to clothe yourself. If it's cold, you dress one way. If it's hot, you dress one way. In your marriage, it gets cold and it gets hot. 
in your marriage, you need to say, this morning, God has provided me with clothing, and I'm not going to wear something old and worn out, and I can't patch it up with just because I'm a Christian. What I have to do is I have to put on the new clothing that God has given me. I need to be disciplined today with my wife or husband. I need to forgive an offense. This morning, I need to put on compassion. This morning, I'm going to choose second place to my wife. How about that? Choosing second place is something you put on. It doesn't just happen. Kindness is something you wear. It doesn't just happen. Clothing is very important. It's very intentional. The old life of anger, frustration, first place, me only, think about me, what about me, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm going to raise my voice, that old life has to be taken off and laid aside. It doesn't get patched up by going to church. It doesn't get patched up by simply saying a prayer later. It doesn't get patched up because you read your Bible. You cannot patch the new life. All there is is the new life Christ has given us. Well, what about the rest of that verse, though? It says, Nobody puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Well, what, how does that make sense in, what we're, in terms of what we're talking about? And I want to give you a, a different image. The Romans had a... Uh, they just seemed to be good at finding ways to kill people, okay? It's an easy way for me to say it. And one of the ways they used to... It was a type of crucifixion. They'd take a dead body, they stretch out the live body, arms, both arms out, and they would strap the uh, arms of the dead body to the arms of the live body so you were face-to-face with a dead person. Virgil was a Roman poet, and this is what Virgil said. He describes it this, this cruel punishment. He said, The living and the dead at his command were coupled face-to-face and hand-to-hand till choked with stench in loathed embrace tied, the lingering wrenches pined away and died. You see, the dead person expels death, literally. The effluence from the dead body. And the person dies because of breathing death. When you try to patch your new life with the old life, all you are doing is attaching a dead man, a dead person, to yourself. You are breathing in death, and you'll be made the worse for it. The tear will be worse, because you can't patch the new life Christ has given you with the old. The second you go back to your old ways, you're strapping that dead body to you. And you're breathing in the death 
And we just need to put that, we just need to grab a hold of that. It's deadly. It is literally deadly to do that. Without Christ, we're shackled to a dead corpse. So why with Christ would we want to pick up that dead corpse and attach it to ourselves? Can you ask me why? I don't know. I do. I get angry. I get frustrated. And then I have to confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. It makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense. Jesus goes on with the second illustration. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Again, something old and something new. And my question is, what are we filling ourselves with? We know we can't patch up the new life with the old. There has to be a change. We have to lay aside the old. Take it off. Throw it away. Burn it up. Now the question is, what are you going to fill yourself with? That's what Jesus says. You are a new wineskin. You're a new creation. What are you going to fill yourself with? This is what Paul says. So again, we turn to Paul for some help in understanding this. Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, being filled with the Spirit changes the way we talk to each other, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So after this, I expect you to come up and say, Good morning, Stuart. Thank you for sharing that message. Okay, I'm just kidding. But what Paul is saying is we're going to speak to each other in beautiful language. We're not going to use coarse language. We're going to use beautiful language. So that one could say, yeah, every time I speak to that person, it's like they're singing to me. What would that be like to have somebody, a good friend, who always is kind of singing, not really singing to you, but the way they talk to you is just so lovely. It's so lovely. And then singing and making melody to the Lord in our heart. In other words, we have peace and we have joy in our heart. We're, we're speaking in amazing ways to those around us and we're singing to God because there's a joy and there's a peace and giving thanks always. So we're giving thanks, which means we're not complaining. Complaining is a default. Complaining belongs to the old life. Do you realize how much 
God, how much God hates complaining in the Greek is goes guspos. It almost sounds like grumbling, grumbling and complaining. Israel almost doesn't make it into the promised land because they're complaining. God really doesn't like complaining at all, at all. And here we find that if we're being filled with the Spirit, instead of complaining, we're giving thanksgiving. Well, and we're submitting to one another. And it's very similar to what we just read. Submitting to one another means we're taking second place. Submitting to one another means we're serving each other. Submitting to one another means we're being humble. Humble is humble. Humility is an act. Not, not so much an attitude as an act. And if it's an act, then it is an attitude. So how do we know? Well, I think we have to learn, uh, turn to Galatians. And this is my favorite passages. Galatians 5, 22 23. Now, I really question whether I should put grapes up there or an apple up there or grapes and an apple. And I'll tell you why. I chose the apple. First of all, because in Genesis 3, 6, Eve takes fruit. Same word as here, fruit of the Spirit. It was fruit that Adam and Eve took and ate that brought them death. But the fruit of the Spirit is life. Here, here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So here's why I ended up with the, with the apple. Because the word fruit is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of of the spirit. You can't be you cannot be high on joy and low on patience. Not possible because they're not individual fruits. You can't say, "Well, I took this grape and ate it. That was the grape of 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 patience, but I haven't eaten kindness yet." Doesn't work that way. So if you want to know how you're doing, with developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, ask yourself from this list right here, where are you weakest? Because if you're weakest in self-control, then you're just that weak everywhere else. Don't deceive yourself. Because if you deceive yourself, you're strapping that old man on you. The cloth is tearing away at you. You're going to end up dead. Fruit is singular. Now, I want to encourage you. Fruit grows, right? Fruit doesn't just pop out, mature. It grows. And I realize that each of us is in the stage of growth. But I also want you to realize that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it all grows equally at the same time because it is one fruit. 
So again, look at the fruit and say, well, I'm not very kind. Well, then you don't have a lot. You, your kindness is equal to your love. Your kindness is equal to your joy. That's what it means. So this is what Jesus is talking about in, in, this, in this passage in Matthew chapter 9. He's talking about something old and something new. He's talking about the old teachings of the Pharisees, the old teachings of, the, of, of their understanding of the law, and the new life that he brings. And that's a joy. And people are watching. And we cannot, cannot go back to our old life. So what are my takeaways? First, oops. Thank you. Oh, can you do it from back there? No. Give me, I'll do all of them at once then. If you can't get me there, it's okay. Uh, Here's my takeaways. One, people are watching you. That's my first way. People are watching you. So live like a follower of Christ so that they may ask you why you live like you do. They need to ask you. You need to be living in such a way that is so radically different from our culture that people say, why do you do what you do? I remember, and this is not to lift me up, just to give an example. I was at the YMCA and uh, playing basketball. Yeah, I used to run and play basketball. I had a lot of fun. And... Um, the YMCA was doing a building fund. And one of the guys that I knew playing basketball, he sat next to me and said, Stuart, you know, I'm on the, the building fund committee at the YMCA. He said, would you like to give money to it? Which I think would be a good cause. YMCA is a good thing. And I said, well, not right now. I said, I already tithe, which means I give 10% to my church. And then I support some other missionaries. And his eyes grew 10 times. Kind of like the Grinch when his heart grew. His eyes grew like that. He said, you what? He said, you give that much money, I don't expect you to give to the Y. Well, I, I didn't, but it's not that I couldn't, but I didn't want to, but I love my church, and it's what the Lord asks. And he was amazed. Why do you do what you do? Two. Second takeaway, identify those behaviors and attitudes that belong to your old self and know that those old behaviors and attitudes are bringing death to you. Identify in yourself the old you. Is it anger? Is it language? Is it alcohol? Is it pornography? What belongs to the old you? All that will do, all it can do, is bring death. It will tear away at you like a, like a new piece of cloth put to an old garment. And then three, finally, 
as you live your new life in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in you. The Spirit's given to you. It will grow. So don't get too frustrated. Understand how you're hampering, dampening the Spirit by strapping that old life to yourself. But know that the Holy Spirit is in you and will grow. And be grateful for that. Sing psalms and spiritual songs to God and to each other. It's a wonderful life. Let's pray. We didn't talk about the old concept of fasting or the new concept of fasting, God, and that's certainly part of this. And Lord, we didn't um, talk about all the old teachings and how Jesus was bringing something, different teachings. But we did talk about the old and the new and the new life that you give us. And that's certainly a central theme in the Apostle Paul because Christ comes with new life for us. And we can't put new wine into old wine skins. And we can't patch the old life with the new life. We have to get rid of that old self. So help us to quit picking up that dead self and strapping it to ourselves. Because it will only bring us death. And help us, fill us with the Holy Spirit and help the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. And now, Lord, Lord we, we pray the prayers of the people. We pray for our pastoral search team. Prayers have already been offered for that. We pray you would give them wisdom and insight, ask the right questions, see the right things. Give them your eyes to see the heart and not just the external appearance. Wisdom and insight. God, we pray for Awana as that will get started. And we thank you for the kids at Meadows, all the children, whether they're young children, babies, or whether they're um, older children. We give you thanks for them. We thank you for high school kids. Thank you for our college kids. We thank you for them. We pray you would continue to work in their lives. And we pray, God, that Meadows will be a beacon of light for Rolling Meadows, that people would look at this church and say, that church is different. That group of people there are different. People are watching us. Help people to realize that if Meadows was not here, Rolling Meadows would be a, a community worse for, the, worse for it. And Lord, I pray personally, we, on the way to church, we saw a car that had literally flipped upside down on the freeway. I pray that the people driving were okay. I pray for that whole situation. We pray, God, for our missionaries. And you know their every need. We've had several in the last couple months here it's been wonderful to hear what they're doing and what you're doing in them and through them. There's been a, a change 
in world leadership with the queen dying. And we pray that Charles would have the same kind of impact in Britain, England, that um, Queen Elizabeth did. We give thanks for your word and its power in our lives, God. The way it grows us, the way it feeds us, the way it corrects us, the way it encourages us. We give you thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.